my friend says caffeine's a drug. I said, oh, tell your friend, fuck you. I want to be a buddy with Just want a little breakfast. And welcome to Breakfast Punks, a podcast about weird shit and DIY punk from Hastings. I'm Siobhan. And I'm Dave. And this is episode 58 in which we're talking about ska punk. Ska punk for those who don't speak fluent David. Or possibly the <laughs> third wave of ska or possibly... Ska of the 90s, but we don't want to say 90s out loud because all we do is talk about the 90s. Well, you've already fucked that up in the first well, couple of minutes. So. It's going to be about ska <laughs> from the 90s <laughs> yeah. uh, and onwards and onwards, not just exclusively the 90s. Uh, if if you think to yourself, oh, I'm not really li- interested in Scar, but you are interested in the sound of David losing his mind, <laughs> this may or may not, it depends how it goes, well, be the episode for you. I feel like we're going to go on a, on a roller coaster of emotion because, you know, you are someone who protests against Scar often, but I think we're going to find little nuggets of you that doesn't protest scar all that much and we'll see well we'll see we'll see I don't i've know. been on holiday for the past two weeks oh, you have i think i might have been revolutionized into have been broken enjoying <laughs> enjoying things i never thought i would be able to enjoy are you gonna... as to whether that is scar or not you'll say... have to the listener listen mm-hmm. to find out <laughs> too much time away from work has made you remember how good life is oh that's nice i wouldn't go that far oh not that far not quite. <laughs> <laughs> well we'll start with a song this song is from a band called juggling jugglers and the song is called filter they're from finland and this is from their seven inch who's talking uh it was released the end of last year this is juggling jugglers with filter <laughs> Louisiana woman has been arrested after police have found meth and puppies inside her ice cream truck. Oh, <laughs> oh my god! I want that ice cream truck. Uh, there's meth not much. There's almost nothing more to it than that's the, fine. Uh, if I know nothing <laughs> else title. ever again, what a great business! Exactly. I have like very many questions about what the business actually was and what I hope it is. 
Um, well, it was an ice cream truck. So she was selling ice cream. And it is cream. now an ice cream truck that sells meth and puppies. <laughs> but did she, oh, did she just have the meth I think that and was the explained. puppies? For, I think that was no, fully explained. No, but I didn't know if she was selling them or if they were just her companions. It's not clear. Like she had but meth for the, for, for, the, for, the, for the life, for the lols and the life. And then the puppies were also for I think it's more. I think it's more that, but for, for sort of the sake of uh, bordiment, Let's just pretend that she was selling meth to children out oh. of an ice cream van. And enticing them with puppies and ice cream. And of course, this news story from Fox News. <laughs> oh, wow, it's actually on a new. I mean, I say news inverted commas, but it's not the Daily Star. No, no. It's a good as. Obviously, takes it much more seriously because they think this is terrible that this woman has meth. Uh, there's lots of adverts about taking drug addiction seriously okay. and such like. But I'm not interested in any of that. I just like the sound of this woman selling meth out of an ice cream truck to some children and having some very beautiful puppies. Oh. They're very cute puppies, although I would, you know, I worry about the puppies a little bit. A little bit. Um, If they broke into the ice cream, it'd be okay. Break into the meth, probably not so good. Probably not so good. The ice cream truck had been on detectives' radar after receiving information that the owner was allegedly using and selling meth from the truck. So she was, in fact. Oh, it's like a front. Oh, my God, I'm so thick. It's a front for backdoor activity. Yeah. Such as selling meth or selling puppies, I guess. Which is perfect, really, if you think about it. also selling ice cream. Because no one's going to think anything the is going on in an ice cream truck. Uh, I don't know. My ice cream seller man, truck man, from when I was a child that came to our village, definitely was dodgy. I definitely ne- right. I'm so, I apologise if there's any ice cream sellers out there listening to this. Uh, specifically ice cream truck sellers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you've got I, a shop... I've never... I've never known one to not be, in in your words, Siobhan, dodgy. Well, like, you're like, either dodgy it's or, you, or it's like you're employed by the dodgy man who does it. Like... Because sometimes I see like I don't know young teenagers who don't give a, don't give a shit, but they're not the owners of that truck. Whereas I think if you own an ice cream truck, I've never known a young ice cream person. Only working from within a truck that maybe they've been driven to. Like, I don't think they drove like, the I've truck. Like, never the owners, seen like, that. Smoking though. ciggies out the back. I think I have. That's interesting. I've only it's only ever been old fifty year old men. Well, not and old, one sorry. and the one the one outside my school was called Shirley Super Whips. Ooh. And uh, that was, was a lady person. Oh, okay. And uh, but we of course called it Shirley Super Tits <laughs> because we were children. Of course. Couldn't get away with that nowadays. No. <laughs> <laughs> Shirley Super Whips. Uh, but That's she nice. she used to sell like hot dogs and shit. I suppose ice cream vans do, don't they? We I used to go do. and get like burgers and sounds brilliant. Hot dogs and burgers stuff. and ice cream from directly Super outside tits. the school. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Um, I bet she. I bet. I wonder. If she dabbled in the meth as well. Probably not in Orpington. She was going for uh, quite a long... You say not in Orpington. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it, was quite, it was a bit of a meth problem. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a meth problem in Orpington? Maybe not a meth problem. We had a, we had a, a meth problem crack. in Norfolk once. Well, there you go. But then East Anglin News um, told everyone how to make it. I'm kidding. They were like, <laughs> the reason it's so popular here is because it's very easy to make. All you've got to do is, and then it proceeded to tell you how you can make meth from like, household ingredients <laughs> and how loosely how you do it. And I was like, this is insanity and amazing. <laughs> well, back to the story. There yes. is one further thing just to tell you because you're going to be disgusted by this. Oh, no. I'm sorry to finish it on a sad note. But the so the police found methamphetamine, drug paraphernalia, two small puppies, yeah, and only two puppies, some melted ice cream in the freezer. Uh, She'd let all of the ice cream go to waste. That's meth addicts for you. <laughs> scum, so subhuman scum. <laughs> I guess if you let the ice cream melt, it would be easier to eat as a meth addict. 
What are you suggesting? She doesn't have any teeth. Um, well, well, from the East Anglia news, when they told us how to make meth, they also showed pictures of people with no teeth. Because uh, you know I, they joined all those things together and decided it was truth. I think the ratio of teeth to meth in meth addicts <laughs> is probably uh, different, more on the side of meth. Different to the the ratio of teeth to meth. Yeah. In any human being, yeah, is probably constant. So if you've got a lot of meth, yeah, let's say ten meth. meths, yeah, you've probably got one tooth. Where, if yeah. you've got no meths, you've probably got how many teeth do humans have? Twenty-eight. Uh, I think I think they have more than that. <laughs> that too many or too few? <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. Um, let's say let's say twenty-eight. Twenty-eight. Twenty-eight teeth. That's the ratio of an average ratio for a human is twenty-eight to zero but teeth to meth. Teeth to meth. The more the meth goes up, the more the teeth go down. I like teeth to meth as a uh, boy band. <laughs> I think that'd be good. Teeth to meth. Like boys to men. Yeah, exactly that. It's but good. Teeth to meth. Teeth to meth. <laughs> with their with their debut single, Ratio. <laughs> oh my gosh. We'll uh, we'll think of the lyrics for that another time. <laughs> um well speaking of meth, I guess, and eating, kind of. Woman addicted to eating toilet rolls, mum says it's like crack. <laughs> uh, I wonder what the ratio of teeth to toilet roll is. <laughs> well, a woman who is addicted to eating toilet rolls says she gets through around 75 sheets of the stuff every single day with her mum claiming like it's like crack to her. Kesha, who lives in Chicago, was featured on TLC show. I thought TLC, Boys is to Men. The TLC, the band TLC Isn't have now it? got, they now do a TV show where they interview Called people that eat toilet roll. <laughs> the I, world's gone very strange. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to dispute it because I don't know it's not that. I hope it's that. <laughs> this lady called Kesha went on a show called My Strange Addiction because she has the condition called xylophagia, which is an eating disorder that concerns consumption of paper. And for her, for some reason, is very specifically toilet paper. She says she's been eating toilet roll every single day for the last 23 years. Jesus and she's 34 Christ. years old, so started as a child. It's probably not got a nice story with it. Um, she thinks it's because of childhood trauma she suffered in sixth grade when she moved out of her house and in with her grandmother. Uh, it doesn't say anything what more did, than that. What did Granny do? Yeah, that's 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 concerning because it doesn't really say anything else. I uh, don't know what <laughs> what kind of toilet roll pie Granny was feeding her, <laughs> but <laughs> I think that I crave it because I love the way toilet paper feels on my tongue and how it dissolves when it hits my tongue. I'm what? gonna go on a limb here. When you said that toilet paper was preferable to any other paper, for yeah. this person, if you're gonna eat paper. I think I would agree with her. I think toilet paper would be the nicest feast. Well, and I think <laughs> the nicest feast. <laughs> I don't think that there's enough different varieties of paper eating disorders to separate <laughs> them all. So I think she's fallen into the paper eating disorder. The DSM-4 needs to be updated. <laughs> but it's very specifically toilet paper. I don't think she claims to have eaten any other other paper. But I suppose I'm just saying I think it is. The, I think she's right there. If well, you're going to eat paper, it is the one you choose. And isn't I must it? say, when I read it, that it dissolves when it hits my tongue. A, a teeny you thought, bit of me mm, you know mm. that bit where you cross a bridge and you think I could just jump off or I could just throw my phone <laughs> over there a little bit of me was like I could just go and eat that toilet paper and just find out but I you know two sides no I don't want to be a lunatic and B what if I actually what if I like it I think I'd quite like to be a lunatic but what, but, but what if this is the beginning of it's a bit like if you do a bit of meth and you'd be like I can just do it once and then before you know it you've got one tooth to ten meth and no then, if you hold off let's not jump ahead of us if you're one meth then you've probably got 24 teeth. No, but if I'm one tooth to 10 meth, 
If that's how I You've go. Jumped. You, you said that you were just going to try meth once and then yeah, you presumed that all of your slope. teeth would fall slippery out. Slippery slope. Oh, I see. Can't just do meth once. You've travelled the ratio you could <laughs> roller coaster. Quickly. And I'm worried that I could go from one sheet a day to 75 <laughs> sheets a day for 23 years of my life pretty quick. I'm sure that the article must have dealt with this issue. I mean, what happened during the pandemic when no one oh had my any God. toilet it, paper? Do you know it doesn't deal with that? I'm amazed. I would have thought that's... The I reason that that would exist. I imagine she was one of those exist. people down at Walmart, like hoarding, like all those videos where they saw people like taking pallets of toilet paper. There's poor Kesha's mum screaming, you know? "My daughter needs it! It's like crack! It's like crack to her!" And they were probably like something about crack. You know, maybe maybe she needs an extra Some, bit of toilet something paper. Something about crack. <laughs> what the ratio of crack use to the amount of toilet paper that you require? No. Shits, the ratio there was, of shit. There was a bum crack. joke in there somewhere. There was a bum joke in there somewhere, but it didn't go too well. Um, that changes yeah. the narrative of those really depressing videos, though, where people were like beating each other up and trying to grab the toilet She's paper. Trying to save her because daughter. generally, yeah, you were thinking these people are fucking idiots. Yeah. What a bunch of arseholes. But in this case, Cash, this mom. person can only eat 75 sheets of toilet paper a day. A day. That, I mean, that's a lot of toilet paper to get through. I don't know how that works out on a roll. I'm not too sure. Maybe actually. we should have done our research and counted a roll. I wonder well, what the ratio of roll to sheets of toilet paper is. <laughs> Well, it's not all good going, as you can imagine. Uh, she admits that she has a hard time going to the bathroom if she eats too much. And she experiences stomach cramps. I wonder why. There's an irony there, isn't there? Yeah. If you eat toilet paper, you can't shit. There's, <laughs> there's, there's an obvious joke I mean, there that I can't find. She's she's figured out ways to get around this. Uh, she prefers two-ply rolls because they're easier to digest. Can I, I think they sorry. very clearly say, Charmin, easier to digest. Can I just say... A way around this is to stop eating fucking toilet paper and eat some food. That's a way around this. No, because it won't remind her of toilet paper pie her grandmother made, oh, which nanny. is assumedly what this toilet paper was. nanny. Toilet paper, to- toilet paper pie. <laughs> her worried mother said every time I'd see Kesha, she'd have a toilet in her hand and she'd try to hide a it. Toilet in her hand. Oh, not a toilet, a tissue. <laughs> she took the old bowl. <laughs> fucking hell! Just in case that final poo comes. <laughs> If you tried to take it from her, she'd get upset. I've never been able to understand why she eats tissue, and I never will. Um, but don't worry, she is being seen by a psychologist now. They will get to the bottom of uh, her, bo- <laughs> her bottom. That's not correct. That's not correct. That's not how psychology works. <laughs> You've been a psychiatric nurse for a long time. I'm a bit worried there. Um, one thing I've learned, it's not that exciting. The desire to eat things and craving for things that aren't food is known as pica, which comes from the Latin word for magpie. Oh. There you go. Because magpies nice? eat loads of shit. Because magpies eat any old shit. Mm. Any old shit. But well done, Kesha, on your toilet eating regime. Just I don't hope, move onto the bowl. I hope it gets like better. Like Siobhan seems to be suggesting. <laughs> no. I think if you had an eating disorder whereby you could only eat toilet bowls, <laughs> you'd, then then the ratio of teeth teeth to toilet bowls would definitely be <laughs> zero to one fiftieth. Do you think there's anyone that just eats ceramics? No. I hope not. <laughs> I really hope not, but I wouldn't be surprised. The amount of stories we find about people with things in their intestines and up their bums and mostly it is through the insertion up bums and into genitals but i don't know i wonder if someone's ever swallowed a mug well here's a man who you might want to make eat a ceramic oh bloke says he put nazi flags in his windows to bring attention to missing fiance peter craig accepts that no one likes nazis but said he had a good reason to put the swastika flags up adding i'm not a skinhead i'm a long-haired peace-loving freaky hippie what the actual 
fuck. I mean, clearly a mentally ill man has put some swastikas up in his window to get attention. Uh, so, it's a, again, sad story, but, you know, let's let's enjoy it anyway. A bloke bizarrely displayed Nazi flags in all of the windows of his apartment in, a, in, a, in an ethnically mixed and LGBT-friendly neighbourhood <gasps> to gain attention so he could f- get help finding his missing fiancé. What? Um, Sorry, why is his fiance missing? Now I have questions. Well, exa- absolutely, it does not explain that. Well, it's <laughs> drawing all. drawing a lot of eyes to suspect number one. I'd say Craig insists that he's been misunderstood. <laughs> Every <laughs> window of his apartment. <laughs> Every window. I don't like Nazis. He said. Nobody likes Nazis. <laughs> Nobody likes what happened in World War Two. But everyone in America deserves to have their home as their sanctuary. Oh my god! <laughs> he's been kicked out. Uh, but <laughs> he insists he's not a Nazi. Telling reporters, "I'm not a skinhead. I'm not a skinhead." <laughs> they repeated window. that twice, not me. <laughs> <laughs> Every window. I'm not a Nazi. Every window. I suppose. I mean, the guy. So there's pictures of the guy. He is a long-haired. Uh, freaky hippie, hippie no, freaky or whatever the fuck he calls himself um hippie freaky i wanted to bring it up because it's such an unusual way to try and get attention for like what way. like if anything happened in your life at what point would you think would you go on that brain journey that says do you know what might sort this problem <laughs> out <laughs> if i plaster swastikas every window <laughs> every window swastika <laughs> it's bizarre it's very misguided isn't it and I don't and but on the other hand, so the other option could be is that he's a massive Nazi. Yeah. And he thought to himself, Fuck this neighborhood, I'm gonna show them what's up. I'm putting swastikas in all my windows. But then when the press came to talk to him, he thought to himself, Fuck, I've done something shit, wrong here. Shit, how do I backtrack? How do you backtrack out of uh, every window <laughs> having a swastika in it? And yeah. it turns out you make up a fiance and say she's missing. Oh, <laughs> I assume, or the fiance has been murdered somehow, mm. and in which case he's kind of doing that psychopathic thing where he's bringing as much attention to himself yeah. as possible to give himself away. No, no, to say oh. so that he gets found out. True. That's the true psychopathic way. That is true psychopathy. But because mm. it really, if you've got to the point where you're a massive racist and you're putting loads of swastikas in your window, when the press come, you should be at a point in your life where you can say, "Yeah, let me tell you about my beliefs." Yeah. About why it's- this swastika is good. Weirdly, I've seen another Nazi problematic news story this week. Mm. Um, and it's from a tattoo artist that's pretty famous and pretty, I think he's local to around here, who for years had been kind of protesting bringing back the swastika. As, as the, a, the piece, as a the tattoo. Indian piece. Yeah, as a, uh, you know, and there's always been that attitude, I think. But then, to my knowledge, I don't think he's got it now because I think he's had it removed or covered up, got in really quite large writing on his back Arbeit Mac Fry written on his Arb what? Arbeit Mac Fry Work Makes You Free which is what is famously written across all of the uh, all of the concentration camps oh I've never in, heard that before in my life sorry yeah yeah it's a really it's um it's on the gates of every concentration camp pretty much right and it's basically because they said this is a work camp it'll make you free da 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 so this man that's always kind of protested that oh this was because of Pete's sign then went and got this very specific phrase that has been used in the past. It's an old phrase that the Nazis kind of adopted and 
happens to now want to reclaim that phrase too and i'm just like yeah yeah that's gone that's a that's bit gone too far that's gone it? far too far but i've just it's just interesting that you brought this up on the same week that i read this uh thing and people are very misguided well, with and their... worse still our cat recently has been doing Heil hitler signs constantly she will not put a paw down so and we, there's nothing we've not done anything to encourage it no just all of a sudden in, in some sort of <laughs> mad gesture she'll just be sitting there all snuggled up and suddenly an arm will pop out <laughs> <laughs> I like to think she's waving at us, but it's clearly it's clearly well, not think, that. I think in her demented brain, she thinks she's wiping her eyes. I think you're right, um, but she does just forget she's done it and just kind of leave it there. And it's like, please, please put that down. Three Nazi stories in one week. I know it's horrendous. So let's move on to a far more fun story. Death. Here are the worst ways for a human to die, according to science. <laughs> that was I totally. That was off the cuff. That was a well, guess. Here we are. Um, I thought this was interesting because what do you think the worst way to die is? Because science has, for some reason, decided to prove or at least guess with scientific reasoning which ways to die would be the worst. I mean, I would say the only way you can fully test this scientifically is by hooking hooking up someone's brain to loads of machines and then murdering them yeah, in lots yeah. of di- like different people in different and ways. So it is, and it so is, it's flawed, I guess. Yeah, and they've... they've very Unless much, they've done that. No, no, no. <laughs> they've, they've very much said, we can't really test yeah, these. Right. Especially the first one, they're like, there's not a lot of... Because uh, the first one you could test just to see like the stress you'd go through before potentially surviving. So I'm, I'm guessing that would be drowning. But I, so kind I'm thinking of. the first ones that jump to mind, I think, for, I'm sure for most people would be burning or drowning. You would think so, but that some of these are kind of burning and drowning, but no, oh, they're kind more of specific. Take it, yeah, kind right. of worse. All right. Um, the first one it talks about is the one that they reckon. Yeah, maybe we could uh, test it, but probably not. Buried alive, because yeah, yeah, and it doesn't sound bad. Laying down. Well, if I you're think in a if you're in a casket, it's quite comfy. You've got I, some cushions. Well, it depends if you want to die then that's fine no no the point of this is that you're gonna die one way or the other yeah so i think what i'm saying is in comparison to some other horrific ways of dying like being just hit over and over again with something (laughs) heavy for example (laughs) i'd definitely rather go in a coffin well i think the problem is you could die within 10 minutes you could die within 36 hours and so you know of all these horror stories where there's like scraping on the inside of the coffins (laughs) because you've been trying to get out and i think that's the point if you just sit there and accept it and go well this is comfy i'm just going to slowly die in here then that's fine but if you're it's all mind over matter isn't it it's all mind over matter fear (laughs) is a product of our imagination just get on with it (laughs) um no I think it would be fucking horrible if you're just stuck in a box wondering if you're going to survive. Of course, sorry, let me be clear. Of course it would be fucking horrible to die in that way. I'm just saying I don't think it's the worst. That's all I'm saying. And I don't think it's the worst either because I think all of the rest of these are pretty horrendous. Uh, radiation sickness. Oh, so yeah. We know it's pretty terrible, but would you like to hear of some really fucking horrible <laughs> examples of this? Would I? Would I? Here is the death of Hisashi Uchi after an accident at a power plant in Japan. After weeks of doctors trying to save his life, he was begging them to stop. And at one point, his heart stopped three times, but was restarted after his family requested they try to save him. So he keeps coming around cruelty. saying, please kill me. Yeah, I'm, that's, this that's is cruelty. so painful. In the... Oh my God. Just reading this phrase is fucking horrible. I'm so sorry. I don't know why I've brought this one up. <laughs> In the end, it took him 83 days to die as he cried blood and his skin melted off. 
ultimately dying of multiple <laughs> organ failure. Cheers, I definitely, family. I thought for one second you were going to say multiple orgasms. <laughs> <laughs> you just, there was something in my head that clicked then. <laughs> well, as your skin melts off, it's the you, ultimate you just, orgasm. No. Yeah. <laughs> we'll never it's know. like when people hang themselves accidentally whilst with an with orange up their arse yeah. and wanking off. Like, you, what you really want to do is get radiation sickness. <laughs> Wait those 83 days <laughs> when that skin melts off. Ooh, mommy. The feeling. <laughs> um, another thing that I've never heard of is pyroclastic flow. Okay, so pyro... Is that something to do with fire then, I guess? Oh, you're not far off. You're good. Oh, yeah, well, pyro is pretty obvious, isn't it? Yeah. Def Leppard song. <laughs> the Def Leppard song, <laughs> of course. Um, so the most deadly part of a volcanic eruption, the pyroclastic flow... Not a uh, sperm eruption. Not a sperm that? eruption. Again, this is not... I, can I repeat? None of these deaths are deaths <laughs> Sex by and death, orgasm. sex and death, you will. They'd be good ones. These are the worst ways to die. <laughs> um, so it's the fast-moving cloud of gas and volcanic matter which spreads out following an eruption, and it goes so fast you can't outrun it, destroys pretty much everything in your path at temperatures of about 1,000 degrees. But surely if it's just 1,000 degrees just touching you, you would just die immediately. Yeah, I think... I think... I suppose the running away bit would be a bit <laughs> scary and <laughs> rubbish. <laughs> scary rubbish. So while the heat would kill you quickly, your final moments would be absolutely awful as your skin would be instantly cooked and there's evidence that the heat from the flows are so severe that it makes people's heads explode. <laughs> Some of the skulls of victims near Pompeii were found to have been shattered and it's believed that in their last moments, the insides of their heads would have boiled before exploding. Again, I do think you die from shock. You'd feel before none of then. That. Or, or it even if you weren't, d- even if you weren't dead, your pain receptors would just turn off. Yeah, you surely point, would be fine. Surely. Or it would just happen so quickly, like yeah. a thousand degrees hitting you. You're yeah, you, gonna, you're gonna you're, die you're, before your brain burns. If your brain boils, yeah. that's horrible. But if it boils in like even, a milli, a mini second, then yeah, you, like I mean, it's your, horrible. Your brain, ways. even if like you have a slight imbalance in your system. You go into complete like shock. So if you're, if it even considers boiling, you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> like if your brain's thinking about to boil, and it's you're at the dead. top too. So everything else would have boiled first. Exactly. So your heart would have popped before your brain gets a chance to boil. Exactly. So it's a pretty awful way to go. But <laughs> come on, science. Come on. <laughs> Another one it mentions decompression. Oh. So it's a good thing us humans live on the ground because we're not suited to live either really high up in the air or deep underwater and pressure is a major part of that. On a plane, decompression can mean oxygen deprivation or people getting sucked out of the aircraft, depending on how much damage has been caused. Deep below the sea, the pressure of all the water pushing down you is dangerous and if you rise up too early or too quickly, you can suffer from decompression sickness known as the bends. Mm -hmm. So in 1983, a group of divers died from explosive decompression Mm. following a diving bell accident. They found that three of the divers were instantly killed when the change in pressure caused the air and fluids inside them to expand, rupturing their bodies. The fourth diver was completely disintegrated and the study notes that parts of him were scattered around the place, needing to be collected in plastic bags, although his liver was completely intact. Yeah. That's a nice note. Yeah. Plastic Hardy bags livers. to collect, collect some of them. The ratio of liver to rest of body there is one to naught. One to naught. Fantastic <laughs> liver. I imagine that means within his suit that it was just a human slush. It must have just been mess. <laughs> oh, that's, I mean, that's what we all are anyway, isn't it, really? It's just our skin. Just mess being held together by a suit. There you go. Oh. So. That's philosophical. I'm loving this. <laughs> I don't know whether that's philosophical. 
So there's some pretty horrendous ways to die in our history. Mm-hmm. Uh, all these horrible executions that we hear about of like Henry VIII times, people being dunked in water, people being horse-drawn and quartered, and all that's nice stuff. But also, sheer incompetence is noted as a horrible <laughs> way to die. Um, dying is not much fun in the first place, but if it's something is going to kill you, then you'd probably prefer they didn't make an absolute mess of it. Spare a thought for poor old Margaret Pohl, who took 11 swings of the axe to die... <laughs> in large part because the main executioner was away on business and the work experience kid made an absolute <laughs> hash of it. She suffered multiple blows to the back of her head before she died and it sounds like a horribly unpleasant way to be killed. But we're Ooh. still talking about her today. Aww. Think about how many people have their heads chopped off in history. Yeah. Not just that time in history, but, you know, ages in history. Yeah. And we remember an old Margaret Pole. So really weirdly, I read a story about a lord that was uh, executed at the Tower of London. And he turned to the executioner and was like, I will pay you six guineas to get this right. And I'll get you six guineas when you finish. Obviously, dead by then. And he said, and if you do it wrong, I will turn and I will look at you. Because I'll be able to do that because you won't have chopped my head off. And yeah, it took him six goes. And after the first go, he did turn around and look at him like, you fucking arsewipe. Eye contact. Imagine chopping someone's head off whilst they're making eye contact with with you. And they're annoyed with you too. Yeah. Angry. And apparently he felt round and felt that the blade was blunt and was like, oh, (laughs) for fuck's sake. We're going to be here a while. Six goes with the axe. Well, there you go. In case you were feeling really down about yourself today, there are some really horrible ways to die and your life is not that bad. Well, let's not stop on this <laughs> roller coaster quite yet, Sharon, <laughs> because a 25-year-old man in Houston, Texas, oh, yeah. died whilst dancing on top of a moving 18-wheeler truck. Aww. Footage recorded by another driver shows the man standing on the roof of the truck, gyrating his hips and waving <laughs> his arms as it travels down the East X freeway in Houston. He dodges one overpass, then gets up to continue dancing, but fails to spot the Tewan Street Bridge. which he struck at speed sending him crashing to the tarmac this is my favourite bit an onlooker said I saw the bloody chunks on the ground I saw the contorted body and broken neck and arm it was a horrible way to begin the day (laughs) (laughs) my day was ruined do you think he might have been on any meth what do you think the ratio of hitting bridges to meth is is it, uh, you've got to do quite a lot of meth before you're gyrating on top of a truck and going into a bridge and being made into chunks. Oh, I, who's driving the truck? Was he driving the truck and just letting it go? I think he probably slept on top of the... I don't know. Do there's no, there's no information that was... about that. Either his mate and he was doing a Team Wolf, okay. which is one possibility. That's nice. I would think it's much more likely that he was on methamphetamine, methamphetamine. And, he, and he was on there and... He, Decided to dance. Decided to dance. Dance out the meth. I think in comparison to some of the ways you've just described, that's a fantastic way to go. Fairly instant, I'd say. Well, you'd hope. You want to be knocked out by that bridge. You don't want to be landing on the floor and dragging along. Well, no, he's made into chunks, so you haven't got to worry about that. I would just like to say that I would like to be gyrating when I die. (laughs) In some way. I don't care what way. That's not a sexy thing. I just mean generally. Either (laughs) orgasm or dance in in the throes of... Dancing to dancing. possibly even skanking, but we'll find out later. Death by skank. Death by skank. That's probably a scar band's name, if we're honest. Could be. Could be. It could also be that you've caught a sexually transmitted disease. <laughs> <laughs> you know where is rife with STDs? Oh. Well, maybe not rife with STDs, but I would say rife with 
aliens. Yeah. As always, Norfolk has been pointed out as a UFO hotspot, which I believe, you know, it is. Um, and here's a man that's here to just spread the word. Aliens are real and they are here. Meet the man behind the East Anglian UFO group. I particularly like this man because <laughs> because he claims he used to be interesting. He used to be he used interesting. To be, he's, not always, he's not always been into UFOs. He's not one of them <laughs> fucking nerds that's always been into UFOs. No, no, no. He. I would he argue protests. that believing in UFOs makes you quite interesting, doesn't it? What did he do before that made him more interesting than someone that now talks to UFOs? Well, he says, when I first had my sighting, I wasn't into UFOs or anything sci-fi. I was into <laughs> motorcycles, rock and roll and girls. <laughs> Sex, but, drugs and rock and but roll. Then, he had an experience, and since then, 40 years of looking up UFOs, and he's, uh, he's having a nice life. Mr. Buckingham, a retired business owner, said my first conscious experience was in 1974. It was in winter, and I lived three miles away on the other side of the village. I'd been instructed to look after my house as my mum, dad and brother had all gone out. I was watching telly, and I forgot to top up the boiler, so I suddenly went outside and ran out to the garden. I was bending down to get some coal and everything went quiet, like when you're in an aircraft, and my hearing became muffled. I felt static electricity all over me. I stood up to clear my ears, but as soon as I stood up, there was this object level with my eyes and it was massive. I was a, it wasn't like your typical flying saucer, like a cone shape. It was there for ages, but probably only a few seconds. And that wonderful experience started 40 years of this man's <laughs> life, looking into... UFOs, but and but in that in those forty years, it sounds like he moved from one side of a village to another side of a village. That might have been because the... he did specifically have to say at the start, "Well, I used to live on the other side of the village," as if that was. That he also brought side. up an aeroplane there, and I would like to argue that he may never have been on an aeroplane. <laughs> and if he has, it only went from one side of the village to the other, <laughs> three miles across, <laughs> across this tiny village. So he wanted to research it. He said, I couldn't find anything other than a few books in the local library. That's weird, isn't it? No <laughs> books about UFOs. But by coincidence, or maybe not, two weeks later, there was a spread in the news of the world promoting a book called The Chariots of the Gods. Oh, and I'm wondering, oh, haven't gross. we come across this book before? My dad no. really liked The Chariot of the no. Gods. No. I think it was like a really big book at the time. That come out, yeah. Probably for weirdos. That come out 1968 and it was fucking yeah. huge. And fucking huge. News of the World, what to If I'm not mistaken, it's a book about how Jesus was actually an alien. Well, it's, it's even further back than that. It's saying our ancestors and everything we've learned about ancient traditions are actually traditions from other people's worlds. Aliens yeah. have come to this country and there's proof because like old Japanese statues look a bit weird so people are like oh well look if you look closely their eyes aren't quite you know what you'd expect they're a bit big like an alien this sounds extremely norfolk if i may say i'm well i'm not even joking i did read something earlier that did say this is this is proof that there are aliens because they're not you know they're wondering why japanese people have made this statue it's pretty fucking awful i know but i don't think that these people understand the meaning of the word proof Oh, yeah. Well, neither does Eric von Daniken, <laughs> who wrote Chariot of the Gods, yeah. I reckon. But he's written a lot of books. He's still alive. And I am a little bit tempted to find this book because I'm intrigued. <laughs> oh, Chariot of the Gods is in every charity shop in the country, I reckon. Oh, it must be. You can find that, definitely. It, it, it looked like a world, of, a world of good. Mr. Buckingham, he bought the book and he goes, I've still got it. And it fascinated me 
The author, Eric Von Daniken, has changed my thought patterns for the rest of my life. So he went from motorcycles and girls, like you so protested. To UFOs. To he to was UFOs. having way more fun. He went from sex, drugs and rock and roll to just sitting in his house reading stupid books about aliens. And pointing at pylons in his pictures. I mean, they're very good pictures in this uh, article. In the back, it had some f- books to read, including a magazine, which is called Flying Saucer Review. And I <laughs> Oh, he didn't subscribe to it. He subscripted to it. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just ask you what you think that magazine might have been? Do you think that reviews. those were reviews of flying saucers that p- had taken people away? Like, well, the bathrooms weren't that good. <laughs> the plug sockets were all hanging out the wall. Uh, very good probing, but I wasn't brought to climax. Yeah. Two out of ten stars. <laughs> Was it like TripAdvisor, but for flying saucers? <laughs> I <hope so. laughs> Can you imagine? That would be fucking brilliant Can if you imagine? it was. I was getting, I was getting lifted up to the aircraft, but it did take a little while, and I was getting tired. No cushions, no reception drinks. Delays on the return to Earth. <laughs> Delays on the return to Earth. I found there was local UFO groups, and, there, and in fact, there's some in every town. But now there's only six in the whole of the UK. I used to go to other meetings and collect. How many towns does he think are in the UK? He's just said that there's one in every town, and then he said there's six. No, has he left that back, village so little that he thinks were... he thinks there's only six towns he in the be... entire country? In fairness, Norfolkians aren't very accustomed to leaving their town. <laughs> And when he says he's been all over the place, he may only have been from, I don't know, Wisbeach over at Kingsland. He's probably not gone very far. In a plane. In a plane. Um, <laughs> but he's, what he's saying is there used to be a lot of groups, and now there's only six. And so thus he started a group, and he wants everyone to fucking know about it. Especially right. in East Anglia. Just him on his own in a pub. Well, hopefully he's got some mates. He's got a Facebook page. Uh, and you can put up posters. I don't know what for. Saying I want to believe, probably. Oh, it's that poster put, yeah, everywhere. That. Oh, what a belief. And we could post about events and clips and discuss if these are real or if they're fact. And now we've had monthly meetings across East Anglia ever since. Every meeting has a group guest speaker, although they have put quest speaker. <laughs> like, this is such a well-written article. I absolutely adore it. He's subscripted. Now he's got a quest speaker. And sometimes they watch a documentary, uh, which I can only imagine is very factual and very good. They hope to visit Kelvedon Hatch, which is an unused bunker near Essex, and they're going to a radar station north of Venard soon. Again, he's not travelling very far to find these UFOs that are from another like solar system. They've come a long he's way, just got, yet he's they going to Essex. Yeah. He's just popping to uh, Essex to just not see. Not being funny, David, if you grew up in Nor- Norwich or Norfolk, that sort of way, and you'd never really been anywhere else, going to Essex is a fucking big deal. <laughs> in the article it says, Will humans ever meet aliens? Mr. Buckingham's he's, he he's, says yes. he's excited. He goes, I am fanatical about this. I spend all day, every day researching. When you dig really deep and get to the real stuff, you see declassified documents and what thousands of high-ranking people have spoken about, all telling you the same thing. Aliens are real. They are here. I strongly believe there are many groups of aliens already here. If you want to know more, go to eaufo.co.uk, <laughs> the Facebook group, in East Anglia UFO discussion group. He'll fucking tell you about it. I just, I just love, I love that there are fucking lunatics just having a fucking nice time looking for aliens in the sky I, I really really hope that this man rediscovers sex drugs and rock and roll because when he does he's going to be like I've wasted the last 40 <laughs> years of my life I used to be able to get laid on my motorbike now I can't even get on the motorbike yeah. let alone find anyone to have and it's sex all because I moved three, three miles across out of that village as indicated before the sex party was over in that place and now I'm, now I'm stuck here looking at cones he's fucked up his life Siobhan 
do you reckon he's ever watched Battlestar Galactica? Because <laughs> he's going to have his like mind blown if he ever watches other things and finds that, like, gosh, you know what? Other people do think the same as me. Not just in East Anglia. You know it's a fictional programme. But I don't think he would think so. <laughs> well, speaking of legends, here is a breakfast, bona fide, I would say, breakfast punk legends group. <laughs> yes, I think you explained that just about as well as that Norfolkian explains his... Uh, UFOs. How many times have we played Vampire Slumber Party on this podcast at this point? It's at least three. I think, I think it's, it's more than that, but I might be wrong. Mm-hmm. And I'd be honest, like, I would have probably thought to myself, oh, maybe that's too many. Maybe no. maybe we shouldn't play their new single that's just come out. But then I well, heard... a punishment? <laughs> no, no, no. For making no. so much music. No, no, You're too good. No, Can't not, have it. No, nothing against them. Just, is it too many times? And then I heard the song... They just keep getting better. They're this is a good. fucking beaut. You fucking beauties, how dare you? It's so a wonderful good. song. And it's called <laughs> Vincent Van Gogo. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, this is Vampire Slumber Party. It's new out. It's on all of the various digital platforms. You should go and listen to it. You should catch them live. They're wonderful. Yes, do that. It's a beautiful thing. And this is Vincent Van Gogo.
pick it up indeed. Welcome back to Breakfast Farms <laughs> Podcast. This is our episode about Scar Punk, where we're going to be talking about the positives, I hope, and the negatives, maybe, of Scar, whether we like it or not. I think we're it's sometimes a divisive subject in the... The <laughs> Breakfast Punk lexicon. Um, because... As much as we don't necessarily listen to it in the house, I don't think I specifically listen to it or make an effort to listen to it. I don't have a bad opinion of Scar, specifically. Whereas I get the feeling that you have a negative view of <laughs> Scar. To just, I get the feeling. You know, we know each other quite well. Well, no, know. I'm trying to... Because let's start with the point of view that I don't mind Scar. In fact, I quite like it, and it for various reasons. Whereas you say you don't. Yeah, I, I think that my overall opinion, as I suggested at the start of this podcast, might have changed and we might see a little bit of movement yeah. in this. But my initial reaction, so we've been suggesting doing this Scarpunk episode for ages. And my initial thoughts were, oh, that'll be funny because we can just like badmouth it loads. This would yeah. be hilarious. I've got loads of shit to throw at Scar, particularly like the later wave of Scar. And I've never pretended that I didn't. When I was a teenager, like everybody with a soul, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I I liked a lot of stuff. I liked a lot of Scar. And we'll probably get to that. But once you get to that point where music is turning to shit, yeah. And if you want to think about that point, go and listen to maybe our Woodstock 99 episode, which whilst there was no Scar bands on that, that was just post what we're talking about. When you're talking about the late 90s, early noughties, American pie moron culture yeah. that we had, Scar Punk was extremely a big part of that. And mm. so, th- and there's some very specific bands, on, you know, Real Big Fish being yeah. a big one, uh, that kind of real pop shit. Yeah. And it was it's not just pop shit, it's grown ass men pulling funny faces. Being jumping up and down on the spot. Yeah. Being funny but not actually being funny. Yeah. The kind of you're you're trying to express joy but you're just being quite but, irritating. Uh, there's no joy whatsoever. And then of yeah. course it attracts exactly the Woodstock ninety nine crowd. It's exa- it might not be the same people, I don't know, yeah. but it's, it, it might as well be the same people as who went on to like new metal because it just attracts fucking morons and then says, hey guys, let's all act like fucking morons. And to <laughs> me, that is not culturally good. Right. So there's that quite strong feeling that I would be my initial thought. Mm-hmm. Then I also, and this is the one that I think has changed and I'll take you through why it's changed because it's quite an obscure way. I don't like silly music. I like yeah. me. I take you know, like music to me is this incredible art form, which is more or less like has been the thing that has shaped my entire life. Uh. I don't think that it's fun or funny. Yes, you can enjoy it, and yes, you should enjoy it, and yes, you should have fun. Yeah, but the music shouldn't be superficial. Mm-hmm. It's the same as like what happened to pop punk or a lot of pop punk. Full stop. Really, and again, yeah. around about this same time in the kind of late nineties, early noughties. The Blink-182 knobs yeah. and the and all of that shit that came yeah. out. It's almost like pissing on music. Just like, fuck you, people really enjoy music. People have been trying to do nice things with music and bring joy for a while, and you're just taking the piss, basically. Yeah. And there is a difference, let me be clear, because th- there's a lot of pop-punk music from the earlier 90s, which I love, which is fun. Right? Yeah, and the silly so, and stupid. Yeah, I Want My Hat Back, yeah. right, is a, is a silly song about wanting your hat back. Any but it, Vandal but, song. But the, yeah, <laughs> but there's, well, I was going to say there's artistry to it, but I'm not sure there is to all Vandal songs. <laughs> you interrupted me at, at the wrong minute then. <laughs> um, 
but you know there is there is a lot of there's a lot more artistry and cleverness that goes into Mm. and I almost can't put my finger on it and I think a lot of people would disagree with me because if you heard Digger first or you heard Screeching Weasel first yeah you would probably agree with me but if you heard Real Big Fish and Blink 182 first you would probably think to yourself well what's what's either what's the difference or well this is just better yeah you know and and it is better in the context of uh production it is better in the context of of probably like how good their videos were made and all the shit that people Mm. at this time people were putting so much emphasis onto that sort of stuff there's also the fashion element to it which i just think is fucking stupid partly because again it's just people dressing up it's fucking grown ass people dressing up as babies and (laughs) fucking around with their silly legs and their silly guitars and singing about nothing so Anyway, so my initial reaction is, oh, this is going to be fun because I'm just going to be able to rag on Scar mm, Punk. Like you just did. <laughs> but recently, in the last couple of days... <laughs> Literally this morning. <laughs> no, 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 not about Scar. In the last the last couple of days or the last week, and this is what I'm saying, I've been on annual leave, put my feet up a little bit. Yeah. We've really started listening to a lot of comedy heavy metal <laughs> recently. Oh, gosh, we have. And... We have. Um, and I've been thinking maybe too much about how important like fun is actually in the world, particularly in a world like we live in right now. Mm-hmm. And in so take many everything so seriously. Yeah, totally. And in a lot of ways, I sort of think that you, I think you should take certain things seriously at certain times. But yeah. I think that we currently live in this spot where everything, even when people are trying to be positive, everything is is negative mm. everything becomes about something negative whereas the beauty of p- both both pop punk and of ska punk yeah is that it was just pure unadulterated fun and actually acting like a baby if yeah. you're a grown-ass man adult play is is quite could be seen could be seen as quite a good thing yeah and so now i think maybe um i really like scar <laughs> again <laughs> What a journey. What an actual journey. That and the reason on. that I love Scar is mostly because of the band Nana War of Steel. <laughs> who, the heavy who metal are a, Italian a band. A comedy heavy metal band who have just brought me around to the idea that maybe maybe funny music, silly funny music, has a place in the world well, and has quite a serious place in the world on a but, on a more like philosophical level, cultural what does the culture need but, right now? It probably needs some fucking goons in hawaiian shirts i mean to just fuck about and you can all is, dance and fall over and eat ice cream to silly music and having fun in hawaiian shirts i feel like that's very specifically one band onwards <laughs> like yes you hate real big fish fair enough uh, yeah but i hated well but here's another thing because, if i may say because i think people who were making that music that aren't real big fish and some of the other silly bands wouldn't consider it silly and would probably be quite offended that you're calling it silly music happy and like Purely to make joy is fine, but silly and goon and stupid probably doesn't uh, ring true to I some th- of the other bands that are taking themselves quite seriously. Yeah, but I think if but you're in a serious band that happens to play Scott, let me yeah. let me say, like, if you're Citizen Fish or if you're Operation Ivy yeah. or if you're Faintest Idea yeah. or, you know, lots and lots or Against All Authority, yeah. there's loads of fucking amazing bands that play some Scott. Yeah. There's a difference between, uh, to me... Maybe that's the, there's a difference between I suppose it's ska pop punk, isn't it, as opposed to just ska punk. I don't know, but there is a yeah. huge difference. It's, it's not just about like people that play upstrokes and maybe yeah. have some horns. Yeah, like they, that can be incredible. 
no question. There's yeah. some incredible bands that use that setup. Definitely, I'm not talking about those bands. Okay. I'm talking about that kind of mainstream, big. When it got big, big and silly. When yeah, in, in exactly the same way, there's pop punk bands that sing about incredibly deep things and yeah. are really incredible bands. Mm-hmm. No question. But they're not. But and I'm not. Big one eighty. Yeah. Talking about putting their penis in a dog. The language limits mm. me to only be able to say this is pop punk but I mean within the scope of pop punk you've got yeah. funeral oration at one end so and fucking why... some 41 <laughs> at the other do you know what I mean so is that why you think immediate thoughts on Scar is you, the first thing you see is a stupid dancing man in a Hawaiian shirt and you're like ugh, 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 I hate this music but actually on further yes but look. I will uh, also it isn't just Real Big Fish because that was around way before Real Big Fish mm-hmm. so I first started getting into Scar in the mid 90s that was yeah. the time that I actually would have said that I liked it. I got into a lot of Asian Man Records stuff. There was just like loads of kind of like scar bands around. Yeah. Uh, it was, hadn't quite broken that big. A lot of them I really liked at mm-hmm. the time, particularly because I was a young kid and, you know, didn't I didn't think to myself, I don't like silly music. I thought oh, it was really funny. They yeah. covered, you know, some old pop songs. Really funny. Yeah. But that whole, I'm a goof, look at me with my ironic sunglasses and... I've got too drunk and now I'm going to sit on the floor and act like a baby thing has always, and I'm talking in the audience, not just in the, oh, okay. not just the bands, uh-huh. has always followed Scar around. Maybe not so much now. I don't think anybody acts like that anymore. But there's a, there's a real, uh, there's a re- it's a real hotbed of idiocy. <laughs> um, hotbed of idiocy. And so we haven't said this, uh, we're basing a lot of this on a film which came out in 2019, mm-hmm. which is called Pick It Up. Pick It Up. And it is, like you say, specifically about the 90s scar thing. Like but it does ca- it does carry on all the way through. Yeah, it gets termed as the third wave of scar quite often, yeah. I guess. Because it's not the original scar, it's not two-tone scar, it's the, the third incarnation of it, where the people in the documentary talk about, we liked the two-tone stuff, but we basically added more guitars, added a lot more horns sometimes, and just played it a bit faster. And... Did make it silly, eventually. Well, there's a section in the film where they go through the... Here's the first wave of Scar, second yeah. wave of Scar. It's, uh, it's, the voiceover is Tim Armstrong, yeah, so you, you can only understand 50% of the words. That's why um, there's really nice cartoons to go along yeah. with, to make it very clear what's going on. <laughs> but it is quite nice. We've really bigged up Tim Armstrong in the last few episodes of I this adore podcast. Him. Uh, Every time I hear his voice, I think, can that be his voice? I've never heard anyone... That- Where's he even from to sound like that? Um, but yeah, amazing. And that's an exact example, I think, of what what the problem is here is that if you look at it as a cultural phenomenon, mm. you say his first wave scar, bunch of like Jamaican musicians yeah. come from nothing, got nothing, create this sound just with a bunch of shit that they've got laying around. Yeah. And it speaks of their, you know, the their their culture. It speaks of the politics of the time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an artistic thing the people involved in it all came from jazz they're they're all all incredible musicians so there's first wave of scar then second wave of scar it's the specials it's the fucking beat you know it's like these were these were like people that were bona fide did something original they took punk and they mixed it with this this scar music which is fine now for us to think well everybody knew what scar was but no one knew what scar was in the late 70s and it was multicultural bands being celebrated it was unity of races strong political undertone yeah exactly so needed uh, the next political music after punk to exist in uh, in the world and then on top of that you see this you know they play a little clip of the jamaican 
bands playing, and it's like, fuck, that's amazing. And then yeah. they play a little clip of the specials playing Ghost Town or yeah. whatever. And then, it's and then they go, and then fish. there was the third wave, yeah. and it's literally just some fucking douchebag in golf pants, <laughs> like dancing around with bad legs <laughs> and like pulling silly faces and yeah. going, Meow, and he's, it's how he sings. And it's like, that that's the problem with the way sometimes yeah. that culture moves it's like yeah they, they, so there's some really good like ska punk it's catchy and it's good and it's yeah. well made and all that sort of stuff but if you look at it as a cultural entity when you compare it just to those two things that came before it yeah and they do shove in like operation ivy in between those things as they should it's very appropriate to do that yeah. like operation ivy was like in, very much in between the specials and that whole third wave thing mm. And it's like, yeah, this is amazing. These Jamaican bands, these like original English bands, and then Operation Ivy. This is the greatest type of music in the world. Oh, no. It's the Aquabats singing about (laughs) how they like pizza. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, that's so I think that's my problem with it. It's not, I'm not really necessarily saying it's terrible. I'm just saying it's like, you could, you you could probably follow this timeline with a lot of music, and the 90s has got a lot to answer for. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, but I guess it's about, when you find that music and what it means to you at that time, because, yeah, it's not a political, interesting, speaking anything really all that socially conscious music like the first, like Two-Tone was. It's not as proficient as the first wave of Scar or anything like that. But I don't, I, I don't think the people in it were that naive to that either. I think they kind of knew what they were doing wasn't the same and because they got a lot of hate from people who would be like that's not scar this isn't scar what people have you like done? me yeah. what have you done to our beautiful music <laughs> but i guess their point was well we're not trying to emulate that in fact we can't we know that they're proficient we just want to do something we just want to be in a band and we want to be with our friends and we want to be like having a nice time and i don't think they were ever not trying well, to do that i don't think they were ever saying they were anything more than that and i think at the time people wanted that yeah, they did in, in, because in they the were world. because the world was full of morons. I mean, it's still full of morons, but it's yeah, like but- it was a time when it wasn't really their fault. It's like the the it's why new metal got big. It's why douchebags yeah. will always find their music and yeah. and that will become the biggest thing in the world. And it tells you about where culture was at any specific mm. time. And my generation and your generation. Mm-hmm was full of idiots oh gosh yeah well i quite liked that on the documentary it stated that this whole third wave of sky pretty much ended by about 2001 and i was like cool that's when i got into it and and no one told norfolk that it was over because i think norfolk pretty much carried it on norfolk and new cross yeah the sky sky never died turns out the the other reason that i changed my mind a little bit about all of this stuff as well and i should say this uh because it relates to what you just said is that I expected all of the people interviewed in this film to be fucking douchebags. Yeah. I expected to hate every single person. I was like, that fucking guy from Goldfinger is oh, going to be interviewed. That fucking guy from Real Big Fish yeah. is going to be interviewed. That fucking knob from the Aquabats is going to be interviewed. Like, I could go through the whole lot yeah. of just like all of these awful people. Oh, what? They're, they're interviewing the drummer from Blink-182. Brilliant. Yeah. But I have to say, everybody in that entire film came off as quite cool. Even, <laughs> Pretty much even, even, let's talk about the guy from Real Big Fish just for a split second. Yeah. I ended up feeling a bit sorry, for, not sorry for him, but because uh, he was really going for the juggler with how awkward he is. Yeah, he really, um, he had an he agenda. He was like, I need, yeah. to, I need to clear the air that I'm not the prick at the front of the band that's really self-confident. I'm actually really damn awkward and i think he was trying to say it for like the whole of that scar scene like actually we get a lot of hate for being goofy but we were really like 
low self-esteem awkward people that were making music to have friends and you know if you're a ska band in the middle of nowhere you didn't really know anyone else and so this music did bring you all together but yeah I did I did um even though that was a heavily laden uh point of view <laughs> to the point that everything he said he kind of was like well I'm just awkward I did feel for him a little bit I was like actually you are a bit of an awkward person you've I've, I like you a tiny bit more now quite a bit more I don't like your music more at all because you ter- no, no. you were the terrible dreadful, band dreadful. um I- yeah, it, I think. But they knew that, that as well. Sorry, just to say, he also would watch, uh, listen to other bands, and be like, "Oh, they're really good. Mm. Oh my god, my band is so bad." Uh, which I thought was, uh, you know, at least he was aware. It it might have been a trick on his part, but I would say that as someone who knows nothing about Real Big Fish, mm-hmm. I totally missed them. I saw a couple of their songs. I knew I hated them. Yeah. But I more knew that I hated them because they were pulling funny faces in pictures as opposed yeah. to actually, I never listened to any of their music ever. Oh, okay. So I had an idea in my head of what he would be like as a person mm-hmm. to be interviewed. And he was the exact opposite yeah, of that. It's quite lovely. And was, whether that was a bit of an act or not, it couldn't have been a total act. Because no. like the, his persona that I was aware of from literally a couple of clips that I've seen that was completely opposite he was yeah. he was obviously a very awkward man i yeah. would think that he would be a, i wouldn't want to spend more than five minutes with him i no. imagine he would be a very frustrating person to have a conversation with well luckily real big fish were like seven or eight people big so you could just go hang yeah. with someone else yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> you wouldn't have to spend time with him and i suppose an aspect that it brings up in the film that i never really thought of too much is that where do you find brass players from nerdy in, in america bands. because i mean i remember again as a teenager being in bands everybody wanted a brass section but in britain <laughs> that just didn't there was particularly people of my age the only people that could play brass instruments were like the posh kids i mean there was no one i don't think anyone in my school played any brass instrument i know you played the saxophone <laughs> but, but you, you're more millennial than kid. i am but you know in in that era of people there was one kid we knew one kid that could play the trumpet and he went to the private school up the yeah. road and we talked him into coming to one band practice once and he was so posh and we were yeah. no nothing there was no level that anybody met on whatsoever it was just like friend of a friend of a friend plays yeah. a trumpet let's get him round oh my god i've never met anybody like this before yeah <laughs> you know whereas i guess uh, Maybe a little way down the line, those kids did exist, but they were just complete nerdy, freaky people that didn't really get involved, but potentially could be talked into joining a band. But I think in America, see, in America, because they have a culture of band, they have those marching bands and all that stuff. And so I think that, well, I got the impression from the film, Mm. and it makes sense, is that I guess if you went to school and you wanted a porn section, you just went and found the nerdiest kids without any friends. Yeah. And, and said, do you want to come and Do you want to be blow, part of my friends? You, want, you know how you have learned how to play this instrument? Just do something way more basic than that. <laughs> yeah. And it will sound amazing. If you could just play this arpeggio. Yeah. Like, you know how you can play really good, you're like grade five saxophone. Fuck all just of that play, off. Just play an E. <laughs> and then and then, and then then don't do anything for ages, but just dance around like a, like a yeah, baby. We'll, we'll for... teach you how to do this stupid dance. Uh, <laughs> And then that's what and one do. of you can go oh 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 or <laughs> <"Chuk-a-chuk."> <laughs> yeah no well um, but so in America in that context it's like now I see that all of these people that from afar I was looking at and thinking you fucking idiots hate you yeah. I now realise that they were probably just incredibly socially inept human yeah. beings that have been thrown into this weird spotlight because yeah. Scar got really big really big in the 90s for a very short period of time and i suppose in hindsight 
you can see why that douchebag from Real Big Fish acted the way he did because yeah. he'd ne- he'd never had to probably have much more than a couple of conversations with humanity exactly. before, and then he was suddenly thrown into this kind of into the spotlight. So I think I changed my views on some of these people by seeing them interviewed in this film because most of them seem like fairly cool people that just came from a different place to me. There yeah. was a few bits where people would say things like, I didn't know what it was like to be in a band. I just thought that what happened was uh, somebody somebody money. turns up with some money and then you're yeah. on a record label and then you go and play in a stadium. I didn't know you had to go play gigs. You had to be part of a scene. They were just like... I just and, thought you were in a band. But I, and I feel like most of them were a bit like that. Yeah. And the thing is, of course, coming from the punk scene, yeah. and you figure that the ska scene is, you know, it's part the of it. Same, it's just yeah. the same thing, really. And I think that's true now. But back then, I suppose it made sense that all of these people that joined ska bands, they didn't know. Yeah. They didn't know there was this underground scene that had been going for years and that had the DIY following and yeah. that was really important to some people. They just thought to themselves... Oh, if you're in a band, then I suppose you just make the poppiest possible song that you yeah. could possibly make that's going to make people laugh. And then that would be enough. And then, you, then you've then you succeeded and you'll get signed, which yeah. I guess a lot of these bands did. But that's the people. What about the music? So you've changed your mind on the people because they didn't seem so horrendous as you thought they might be. But <laughs> the music. Well, again, so I have some really fond memories of Scar as a teenager. Yeah. I do think that Scar in a lot of ways, and this is sad to say because I think this just says that my soul's died a little bit, but I think Scar is a type of music for young, younger people in a lot of ways. I think as you, as you grow a bit older, I think that you, um, you lose that part of yourself that is happy to turn your brain off and just jump around. Oh, but that is sad bit. because I think the point of that music should be to turn it back on. Well, when this you is hear it. well now. This is what I'm yeah. thinking. But that's but, but <laughs> just to quickly ask uh, before we move on too much, what were the bands you listened to when you first got into ska music in the nineties? Well, what were the bands you enjoyed? Citizen Fish was really early yeah. for me, but I would put that as quite separate. And then, like I said, I got into loads of Asian man record stuff. So I got into Skankin' Pickle, mm-hmm. uh, Slapstick, which is a couple of the people from Lawrence Arms' early ska band who are fucking brilliant. Mm-hmm. Operation Ivy was like, I got that album super early on. I think, I don't think I'm lying in saying that I got an Operation Ivy album before I'd ever heard Rancid. I think that's true. But okay. if not, they were very close together. It wasn't like I knew Rancid until I got Operation Ivy. Oh, okay. Not at all. I remember, um, so I remember the first time I heard an Operation Ivy song, and it was after Rancid, because mm. I'm just of the age where well, yeah, I heard everything in the backwards yeah. way. And yeah, I remember we were going into a place in Norwich, and there's music playing as we went in. I think we were going in for a gig. And yeah, Sound System was playing, and I just never heard it before. Mm. And it's one of the few, like, there's songs where you're like, oh, I wish I could remember the first time I ever heard that. I remember the first time I ever heard Sound System. I was just like, oh my God, what the fuck is this song? Like, it's just insane. And that's after hearing every other version of Scar. Like, Mm. I'd heard that beat. I'd heard everyone ripping it off. But yet, having heard everyone ripping it off since, or trying trying to ever be as good as them... That song still stood out, and I was like, I, "Oh my god, what is this?" The person who was like, "Have you never heard Operation Ivy before?" Mm. brought me a CDR burnt copy of uh, Energy the next morning, and I was like, "Life changed. This is so good, yeah. so good, and it will th- never be bad. It's just perfect." Oh, and there's n- yeah, you can't say about yeah. I could I couldn't imagine anybody. Yeah, I can't imagine the state that you would have to be in. In order to say, oh, Operation Ivy aren't very good. Aren't yeah. They? Like, like, that's just crazy to me. Like, there isn't, it will connect you with wrong. you on some level. 
it can't not. I just yeah. can't, I couldn't understand. You don't have a soul. If you think to yourself, "Oh, Operation Ivy aren't very good," or even if you think, "Ah, oh, they're right," you're you're, you're you've wrong. got something wrong with yeah. you. Like <laughs> I'm not kidding. There's only a handful of bands I say that about, but that Operation Ivy album is is perfection, utterly untouchable. Yeah. I mean, no question. It's not all as good as Sound System, but I mean, just just that song. Well, it's because there's something like twenty songs on it. So fair enough. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah, but they're all pretty fucking they're good. All really good um, but then uh, Link Eighty. I really like them. That was Danielle Steele's son. Danielle- <laughs> um, but yeah. he, he was dead by the time I got into them. But their first album is fucking banging. It's not straight up Scar, but it's really, it's almost like, it's more like Fallen Sickness or that's kind of like the heavier end of Scar. Mm. Um, and Suicide Machines. Yeah. I was really into Suicide Machines because um, I saw them. How's this for a bill? might not impress you that much but uh, i saw suicide machines open for swinging utters open for no use for a name at the garage in highbury yeah in i think maybe 96 i guess and um yeah it was just you know just a tuesday night an average tuesday night and um tuesday night of course uh and suicide machines were fucking brilliant and i had their first album and i thought it was great i never really followed them they got a lot bigger after that and Mm. i I never really followed them that much but the other really main band i think that i fell in love with and still love to this day is mu330 and the only reason for that is because they definitely really fit into that whole the goofy side of it thing yeah is that again one of the early punk gigs that i went to they played oh okay they supported blank 77 and Toast played, and that was at the garage as well. And there was a massive fight <laughs> between skinheads and punks. Oh, and back was, in the day! It was, back in the day, yeah, it was weird. It was weird. <laughs> how old are you, and how far from the fight were you? you uh, I was in the, the middle wall, of like, the fight, oh, but no. not really by my own choice. But, but I was probably you sixteen, maybe. I was sixteen, Siobhan. Oh, was David! Different back then, David. But they, I just loved them, and they used to tour all the time. Mm. And they were really DIY. I mean, they got—they never really got that big, but they definitely got a bit bigger and they ended up on Asian Man and stuff. But when I saw them, they weren't even on a record label. Okay. So I've got a copy of, I think it's Chumps on Parade. It's like their first album and it's, it's self-released. Like there's nothing on it. It's, it's not a CDR, but it's very much the just one up. The closest thing to it, like <laughs> printed up, in the print yeah. shop. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I loved them and I still love them. Um, and then, to be honest, I got into loads of shit. Like, um, there was two albums that Asian Man put out called Misfits of Scar and Misfits of Scar 2, and mm-hmm. I had them both, and I really loved them. And then for a little while, I think I was just into Scar. Yeah. And I, um, Less Than Jake, I loved Less Than Jake's first album, and I had a really early 7-inch, which is a split with Against All Authority, who nice. are another Scar band who are fucking incredible. And um, I don't know... Again, it's so old. It's got like a photocopied front yeah. cover. It's that old. So I think it might it might be Lesson Jake's first thing. I don't know. And it's called um, With the Out Crowd or In With the Out Crowd or yeah. something. And it's I don't know if it's on Pez or not. But it, I'm not sure if it's on anything else. I'm sure it's on something. Yeah. Um, but I loved Lesson Jake. And yeah, so I, I so I had a small period of time. And then I, I went through a long period of time where I was buying loads of stuff directly from Asian Man Records. Yeah. It became like my record label that I liked. Mm. And, um, Which is specifically pretty scar it's, lenient. It's a lot of scar. Scar lenient. But actually, in fairness, it was at the time when they were starting to release a lot more other stuff as well. So okay. there was loads of shit on there that was just great. Like stuff that sort of moved slightly towards like the more emo end, like the Honor System and stuff like that. Alkaline Trio's early stuff, which was great. It Lovely was great. Stuff. They're not good now, but they were great then. <laughs> 
Um, and yeah, just loads of loads and loads and loads and loads of stuff. stuff. Broadway stuff like that. And um, but there was a lot of scar on there as well. And that mm. and then I got into loads of Japanese scar. And I love uh, um, a lot of Japanese scar. But also Mike Park's bands. He's not mm. Japanese, I should say. I'm not. I'm just jumping around. <laughs> um, the Chinkies and Skankin' Pickle and the Bruce Lee band. Okay. Um, we're all fucking brilliant. And they were all Scar, and you liked them. So yes. You do like Scar. Well, yeah, but then so then Scar <laughs> got big, and then I decided it was just a bunch of goofy knobs uh, well, I, doing silly dances. And I think maybe that's not all that inaccurate in fairness no it because was i not. think it like it it seemed to kind of start pretty interesting in as much as yeah they were bastard in some eyes bastardizing a music that had come before and re- removing the culture and just adding a bit more guitars to it mm. but it was new and interesting for a bit and then i guess how much can you do with scar before it just becomes samey and i think it really quickly like you say money got thrown at it very quick uh, loads of ska bands ended up getting really big radio recognition. Like Rancid got huge. Um, yeah, that was ex- that was Mighty much Boston. earlier, but yeah, yeah. But yeah. these people got huge fairly early on to the point where money was being thrown at these bands by about the late nineties. Yeah, like, yeah, all, yeah, all within the space of like five years. Yeah. Um, and then very quickly, it got so you'd kind of heard it an awful lot. I think someone in the documentary was also saying people would take to putting on all dayers for Scar as well, mm, and be there like, was just as too much many as, Scar bands, exactly. Yeah. And as much as they were so interested in that music and really interested in having fun and en- and energetic times, they were like four bands in, you've used all your energy. <laughs> By the time the <laughs> headlines are coming for on, so long. you're kind of done with fun. You're like, I really do like fun and switching my brain off, but it has been a long day of it, and mm. my back does hurt now. Um, and I haven't even seen Real Big Fish. But I think that you're adding a lot of context to it, which was not available at the time. Mm-hmm. So it's fine to look back now and say, oh, yeah, you know, there's the first wave Scar, the second wave Scar. When I heard Scar Punk for the first time yeah. in the 90s, I'm almost 100% sure that I'd never heard the specials. I, I'd never I'd never heard any of okay. that original Scar stuff. I definitely didn't know anything I mean, about Jamaican music I know, at all. No, that's fair enough. And I, to be honest, I would say the same. So my first gig ever was a pretty much a scar heavy gig it had the band spank boy on it which went on to be called solar beat alliance they're a terrible band but they were a moon scar europe band and moon scar used to do tours all the time and they always came to various norwich places when it wouldn't be the biggest places it wouldn't always be like the waterfront and stuff they'd be like the ferry boat and in fact i think i saw the aquabats at the ferry boat which is like i don't know 100 people can fit in that pub um, how many children came no children. They had. Uh, they. <laughs> well, I how guess many? I was pr- a how many? How many toddlers came? Oh, we were all toddlers. <laughs> um, and I don't care. Ford's going. It was best fucking. It was so good. But yeah, pretty much every gig that I went to, I think I started. My first gig was in two thousand and two, and pretty much every second or third gig I went to would have been scar orientated in some way because Norwich just had such a haven for it every gig seemed to just have a scar band on it even if it wasn't meant to be a scar gig but so did you not see those you didn't see those bands as being i saw it as separate yeah and i was brought up and this is like you know my naive brain of that's what my mum listens to and that's what i've found even though my mum listened to and played two-tone scar all the time at home and i loved it and appreciated it i saw it as a separate thing um and then maybe it's because I decided that this other music was music I'd found, and it's I like think yours, I yeah. and I considered it because it just sounded heavier because I only ever experienced it like live, I guess. 
I just assumed it was more punk than it was ska. And I mean, I was it wrong. probably was no, it probably yeah, was. Well, way, not but, all those bands, no, <laughs> not all those no, bands, no. and 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 by no means the most proficient bands. Like the first few gigs I ever went to were all dreadful ska bands that have rightly disbanded. Um, name and shame. Oh, I don't want to name and shame because, sponge. because yeah, well, no, they're still going because this is the thing they're all going. King Prawn still going, yeah. playing Hastings in like next month. <laughs> um, so all these bands that like you think, oh god, how can they continue? They are still continuing, but they were very important as a kid. Um, and I don't want to say it's because it's a ki- kiddie music or silly and teenage music, but it does, because of the age of most people that are still listening to punk now, it was the probably the music that was out when they were teenagers. Oh, no question. And so no I question. don't think it makes it teenage music, but I think for most people who are referencing back, it was music that was around at their teenage years. doesn't mean you can't still like it now, but I think our um, tendency is to believe that if you do still like it now, you're longing for some kind of teenage year. Whereas, and, and we and do to, also live in a time when everybody is acting like teenagers, yeah. no matter how old they get. And and again, I'm not necessarily saying this in a bad way as such, yeah. but this is extremely millennial music. I mean, it's the ultimate in a way of, yeah. the, of the millennial experience. And it's like forty-year-olds that are still spending their life playing computer games, yeah. uh, eating pizza, and listening to ska music is pretty um, standard for yeah. our sort of generation mm-hmm. and there's good and bad in that I you wa- know and I, and I think that and I wonder I would say that I don't think most of the people that are involving that probably see the bad in it as such yeah. maybe I mean I wonder if also because nostalgia is not a bad thing to yearn for and mm. so I think listening to albums of the past is cool and I quite like it and it makes you feel like oh gosh I really like and and, I mean, and the music still stands up so much of it the good stuff really stands up still um, I wonder how new ska music is made and how to make it interesting and interesting enough to listen to so that you're not relying on nostalgia or the feeling of oh I used to listen to this this is really nice again some ska music still stands up no matter what but in a, in a time where have we listened to all the ska music that can possibly be made? What is new ska music kind of sounding like? Well, it sounds exactly it the same. And so and is there, that good? there's well, it depends. There is something very comparable between the late nineties and the right now, because ska bands who are yeah. coming out now, literally current ska bands mm-hmm. who are maybe a year or two or even five or ten years old, there is the possibility of them doing rather well for themselves yeah. there is a there is both a scene which will support them and also the possibility of becoming bigger and i'm not going to name any names yeah but i do think that as a result of that i've seen and this is totally my presumption and again this is one of the reasons why i would never name any names because it's just me presuming but i do think that there are people that would like to become pop stars that think that find out about scar and and punk generally, I think there's people using our scene sometimes mm-hmm. to move on to another level mm. because it's a really easy way to get a bunch of fans in the first instance. Yeah. If you if you've if you've just come out of music school or if you've already you know you've already got a manager and you're looking at how you're going to become yeah. what is now a pop star, but you know there's no such thing as a pop star anymore. But you know mm. whatever if you want to if you want to make this into a living, there is a possibility of using both the punk scene, but I think more so the scar scene, mm-hmm. to move up to, move to that up. next level. And I think that you see a lot of people that are obviously not necessarily, they're not punks. It's fine. Yeah. They don't have to be punks. But they're kind of using 
I yeah. think they're using a DIY scene to get to the next place that they want to get to in their career. Mm. And I'm I'm not I'm not comfortable with that. I don't like those people. No, and I think that's the thing. You can kind of I can't place my finger on it, but you can kind of tell the genuine joy and musicianship and friendship and all of the genuineness about some scar from the non. I think Yeah, well you can see that in everything. You can see genuine yeah. people from non-genuine people very easily. It's only the non-genuine people that don't think that it's obvious. Yeah, and I think and I think the genuine joy is always good and always and and, and a little bit like what you said earlier about Operation Ivy like that's genuine and that's amazing and you're, you're silly if you can't see that and something someone said in the documentary about ska music generally the like the good ska music is even the most hardened person if you're open to it mm. it'll, it will get you because it's infectious well as it lovely. has to me in the last yeah couple of days. <laughs> and they're like even the like hardest person who's sitting there with their arms crossed at the beginning will start nodding their head and then they'll start getting into it and you just have to be open to it and then you can fall down a trap of remembering how good it is or realising how good it is. But I do think the like non-genuine kind of shitty end of it, like Real Big Fish, again, he seems to be a nice man, but... I don't know if I'd describe him as a dreadful. nice man, but yeah. But the, but the <laughs> music is... Not as bad is, as I thought he was going to be. <laughs> but the music is in your face, obviously, shit. Yeah. And not about anything genuine. It's, it's kind of like latter-day offspring. It's like when the offspring got a hit. Yeah. It's that kind of music that is not really music. It's not really a it's type of music. It's not a place. genre anymore. It's just... How can we get yeah. on the radio and with he, a fun song? That's and he make gave himself laugh. away because he was the one that was saying, "I didn't realise you had to be in a band and play gigs and be part of a scene. I just mm. thought you made a song and got big." Um, he was honest to it, which was to his credit. But yeah, and I think the modern day people that you're maybe talking about are, are, are more representative of that bit. They haven't kind of come up. They haven't been part of a community. But um, we live in a world which is wiser now, so therefore those people can camouflage themselves much easier. Mm, so nobody, nobody's doing what... So whereas the guy from Real Big Fish was, was just, just a douchebag, yeah. he was just sort of like, well, I came here to become a pop star, yeah. and I don't know why there's a problem with that. Yeah. Now people know... Not to say that. that, that yeah, not to say that, because they'll, they'll lose their sort of position the in, the, in the world. Often, too. And then you'll be fine. Well, you can, there's all sorts of, of standardised words that people can use, isn't there? <laughs> Just just do whatever you want and then say fuck the Tories at the end of it and you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> so it. what is good Scar music, Siobhan? Well, you've mentioned pretty much most of the good ones. and uh, I have excellent taste. You do have excellent <laughs> taste. I wrote down a little list of my good ones. But Operation Ivy, uh, I did put Amy 330 on there. Although I must say I'd not listened to them. I'd seen the name tons and they've been on, I think they've probably been on like the earlier gigs that I was at. Um, I think I've looked at gig tickets and found their name on it and been like, fuck, I've seen this band, I don't remember it. Um, I put Rancid on there, even though I don't know how much they count. They had the upstroke stuff, so I figured that counted. Yeah, they count, why not? Um, I put Lesson Jake. But I always think it's really interesting when you talk about how much you don't like Scar, when one of the first things we ever connected on was, like, genuine love for Lesson Jake. Uh, and Well, I mean, I would argue it was a genuine love for you and you like Lesson Jake. No, and you like Lesson Jake, <laughs> no, and you've got all I'm of their kidding. albums. And I we went to see them, and you were just pure joy, dancing on all fours at one point, well, like a weird little happy dog. Well, yeah, I mean, it was a happy time. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, this is sort of what I'm talking about, not to get too deep on this, but, I mean, when we met, we, had a, we were talking about this the other day, we had, mm. like, our first year, or two years, probably, of just, like just throwing caution to the wind and just having as much fun as we could possibly have and, and when now you we're boring. When, and when you were living a life like that scar is the ideal accompaniment to it yeah and the problem is is that over time more sensible things come into the picture and you have to you know deal with life yeah 
And potentially ska music isn't the one you want to deal with when life has its ups and downs. I don't know how yeah. many people went into the COVID lockdown and thought to themselves, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be really happy and put on some ska. I'm <laughs> sure most people did what I did and put on some, some Tom Waits. And, <laughs> you got into you know. <laughs> really like 80s goth. <laughs> yeah. So, you 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 know, there's there's a I suppose there's potentially a time and a place for it. But maybe yeah. that, you know, that's quite an interesting conversation. It's like... Did the music influence the joy in our lives? Because it must have. Me, music influences everything I do. I'm happy to yeah. say that. Whatever I listen yeah. to of a morning uh, dictates what sort of day I'm going to have. Maybe. So is there is there a point where you're like, well, I'm a really serious person and I'm, I am I write poetry and I'm in a band that's really angry and so therefore I can only really listen to that sort of music because well, otherwise I'm going to look like a douchebag. But I- actually, should I just be putting on me 3:30 every morning and then going into the world happy well i do think there is a prejudice against scar for this reason it is yeah. seen as uncultured it is seen as but it is uncultured um, but is there anything wrong goofy. with that it is yeah, goofy yeah. But is there anything and wrong I with and i think that? these are, no i don't think there is anything wrong with that but i think people who protest vehemently against scar are sometimes too maybe wrapped up in what it would look like if they liked it totally um because again like that man and i really like the i can't remember who it was in the documentary who said it but one of the people interviewed really did just kind of sum it up when they were like if you're open to it it's amazing if you don't like it it might just be that you're not open to it it is you just we can accept it for what it is like i'm not stupid i don't think scar is like the most musically proficient thing in the world at all because it isn't and no one there thinks it is apart from the horn players bless your heart you are better than your bands but um <laughs> not, not all of them I maybe not all of them no 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 <laughs> those poor ones that were dragged out of concert band at the beginning like hey i'll be all about oh no you don't have to play much but I just think dance a, like a baby but there is a place for it and i think i think there is nothing wrong with i mean when we put on I've listened to a lot of Scar in the last couple of days. And when we put on Lesson Jake this morning, I was just like, this is amazing. But that, al- but that, album, that album very specifically has a big part to play in our relationship. So I think I, I think I listened to it in that way that you listen to certain memory albums. Yeah, but... It's, not necess- it's, it's partly because, you know, sure, the, the mood of it is very important, but it's because yeah. it's a fucking great album. It doesn't matter if it's Scar or Punk or but that's it. pop. But, it doesn't matter. Yeah, but there's other... It got me thinking about, like, the other albums. I think Borders and Boundaries is the one that I remember as, like, a kid. And um, because that's what I listened to tons when I was a kid and and I think some of those songs are still genuinely amazing but I think that that is about context as well so in when you're looking at Scar and you're saying well this is silly music that I hate so I'm not going to listen to it Mm. it's about having some sort of contextual awareness of the fact that that's how you're supposed to see it or maybe that's how you've convinced yourself to see it so a really good example of that which I haven't brought up and I'm almost embarrassed to is that I really liked Goldfinger's first album. What's on I, the first album? Because I don't remember. Uh, in the bedroom. Oh, okay. And all oh, that no. stuff. Oh. Right. And, uh, but I can explain that away, you know, it, to some extent, in as much as when I first saw Goldfinger, it was on this little clip. Uh, I mm. think it was on like 120 minutes on MTV or something. And it was this really short clip about the Warp Tour. But it yeah. was, I think, the first ever Warp Tour. Okay. So it looked, it was really DIY. Mm. I can picture the stage perfectly. And it was literally just some fucking wooden boards in a field with like maybe maybe three or four hundred people there it wasn't the walk tour as it is now and they just showed little clips of all the bands that played and they showed i think it was hagfish 
And I think it was face to face. It was definitely face to face. Nice. I don't think even Bar Religion. I think it was even smaller than you would have Bar Religion there. Mm-hmm. And one of the bands that played was Goldfinger. And they, I re- clearly remember what they looked like. They all had skinheads and they were all wearing wife beaters mm-hmm. and those like, those like skatey trousers. And they looked, yeah. so they looked like kind of, they sort of looked like tough guy, hardcore sort yeah. of punkers. And they played, there was just a little bit of their song. And I remember looking at them and thinking, God, that band's cool. How cool is that band? Because I was like, I was like 14 or whatever. So I was like, yeah, fuck, that's, that's a cool band. But I'm wearing bondage and trousers, like, but should I be wearing these skate trousers? <laughs> yeah, totally. But that's what you think like yeah. when you're a little kid. And yeah, I'm yeah, perfectly yeah. happy to acknowledge that. And so anyway, so the context of Goldfinger to me was not, this is a stupid pop band that's yeah. been created by some producer extraordinaire mm-hmm. who's obviously a douchebag. That was not how I thought of that band. How I thought of that band was that really cool band that I saw a little clip of. And so when I first listened to that album, yeah. I went into it with this is going to be the coolest band in the world. Like yeah. I just got so into already, things like Shelter yeah. and I just got into, which were all kind of flawed in themselves. Like I, I think I was probably listening to like H2O. Like I was into stuff that I would now kind of cringe at a little bit, but at least was... I don't. It was probably based came a bit from, on came fashion from a more and was a place, well, not even culture, well, but it just came from wherever it came from. Yeah. But the point is, is that I didn't see Goldfinger in that context, and so when I listened to that first album, yeah. obviously I was just sort of like, yeah, this is gonna be a really good, like, quite hard punk band. And so whilst when I listened to it, I didn't, it didn't trick me into thinking it was a different mm. style of music, but I allowed myself to like it, I suppose, at the time. Well, and so now I went. I reckon I went for like six months just listening to that album over and over oh again. Gosh, and. Now, if I put it on now, I know it would bring back loads of memories. I also know it would make me feel ill because it's dreadful. It's fucking dreadful in every possible way. And they are dreadful. Well, they are dreadful. I was uh, conned into thinking they might be good. Uh, in maybe the same way that people of my age were conned into thinking they were good. Because I had one song and a Tony Hawk's pro skater game. No, but that's the most millennial thing you've it ever is. said in your it life. It is, but everyone my age, I don't know, the first time I ever heard Goldfinger was that Superman song. Eating cereal in, your, in, in some sort of ironic trouser well, with a cap backwards. I never wore a cap. <laughs> I never wore a cap. But um, I did think that they were going to be better than they were because Superman's a really nice song. But everything else he did is absolute dog shit. And that man is horrendous. Yeah, I mean, he's horrendous, horrendous. but you don't know what someone's going to go on to do either, in fairness. It's like yeah. there's loads of people like that, you know. Yeah. I didn't realise that the douchebag from Blink-182 started in the Aquabats. I always mm. thought the Aquabats were some sort of side project to Blink-182. And yeah, I'm not, I, this is a bad example, but in a lot of ways, you don't know that that guy's going to go on to yeah, what he went on to. Like I He d- could have been a cool guy, I suppose. I did think he was doing both for the very early parts of his life and then Blink got big. I didn't realise it was so before it. He's got but, a big Dag Nasty tattoo. You would, if I just saw a picture of him, I think, well, he's probably all right. That guy. He's got a big Dag Nasty <laughs> tattoo, but he's not. He's a fucking prick, and he doesn't. He bagged a Kardashian. I mean, he's <laughs> obviously, obviously, like a dreadful prick. Yeah, a purely dreadful prick. But you don't know that at the time when they're just a drummer in some DIY punk band. Mm-hmm. So I feel like with all this music, you've kind of attached like memory to it, or given some kind of qualification for why these bands are good. That isn't just that the music is good. Is there any bands or any songs or anything from the Scar scene that you're like, you know what, this is standalone good, could listen to this on any given day. I don't have to qualify it by saying I grew up with this or I thought they were going to be cool or they were dressed like this or... So I can't say Goldfinger is what you can't say Goldfinger. Yes, yes, there is. But like, actually just, you know what, Scar was silly, Scar was stupid, but out of it, these gems happened that you can't say are bad. Well, I mean, some Scar wasn't silly and stupid, so... So I'm not very good at remembering songs, but 
the impression that I get by the Mighty Mighty Boston's is one of the best songs ever made. I think every time you listen to it or we listen to it, you, you, you turn to me every time. You're like, there is nothing wrong. Name I mean, one thing wrong with this song. But there isn't. You get, like, I mean, you're like really into it. It's utterly perfect. There and I think nothing. they're a great band as well. I've got, I've got yeah. most of the Boston's are older albums and mm-hmm. some of the older ones, they're not nearly as easy listening, but they're fucking great. Really, yeah. like just such a good band. And they released songs maybe last year and they okay. were great. They were really good. And they're um, considered like forefront of just because they end up getting so big. Well, they no, they started before. Yeah, they started before everything. But I mean, they're obviously they're, when they got big, it was right in the right in right the middle in the of middle. all of this stuff. Yeah. But um, but they were an, they're like Fishbone. Mm. Um, it's weird, like Fishbone get thrown into Scar, but to me they're something completely separate because I mean they were going through like the eighties and they were more peers of like Red Hot Chili Peppers before mm. they became you know massive superstars like yeah. they were more that i i that's how where i put them mm-hmm. but they are obviously they they are a scar band um we said operation ivy i mean there's no doubt that's absolutely perfect mm-hmm. i would say slapstick have got a song called there's a heavy metaler in the parking lot okay i think that's what it's called that is pretty much perfect Perfection. it's such a good song better than anything the lawrence arms did and i like the lawrence arms but it's just such a good song um, and then I don't know. I mean, there's a load of sort of slightly lesser known bands uh, like Fallen Sickness, like Against All Authority. There was a UK band called The Proper Gumbies. The Proper Gumbies? Yeah, and they were That's wicked. A nice name. Uh, I saw them live loads of times. I think it was a member of this other band called Grover. They were from up north somewhere, but they were they were they were wicked. They were really good. Like I say, there's some there's some like new stuff. Like Faintest Idea is fucking great. Mm. Faintest Idea have just got a new album out, and it's brilliant. And then the other thing uh-huh. where there's loads of quality. Uh, which I I would never have really chucked these things in together, I don't think, but the movie certainly does. There was loads of those bands who were kind of doing a direct rip-off of more like traditional Scar. Oh, I get it. Like Hepcat, Mm -hmm. um, The Slackers. The Slackers are fucking brilliant. Love them. Um, And yeah, there was a lot of that. I think it was all on Hellcat, most of it Mm -hmm. was. And there was loads of good stuff. And actually, just to give him a little shout-out, Tim Armstrong's solo album which is called A Poet's Life, which is pushing it a bit too. <laughs> um, but it's, he's a that, poet, he's an actor. But he uses loads of those musicians from those bands on it, and um, it's fucking brilliant. It's not really... I don't know if you could describe it as a direct Scar album. It's, it is more or less, but there's a, mm. lot of, there's a lot of other stuff mixed in with it. But that's brilliant. So it's not all silly, goofy shit. So maybe you do like Scar. And I maybe think- we need to remind you of that every time you poo-poo it. Our cat has been quite sad recently. She's getting very, very old. Oh. She's having a bit of As trouble. As you mentioned, she's, she's hiding. She's gen- yeah, she's generally having a bit of trouble. She's not really able to jump on the things that she used to be able to jump mm. on. She's not been very snuggly. She's been licking she's, the air when she thinks she's yeah, washing Yeah, she herself. thinks she's washing herself, but she can't wash herself anymore. We're having a bit of a nightmare with her, and she definitely hasn't been very happy. And I will say that today we put on a load of scar music before we started <laughs> and she immediately came into the room snuggled up and purred her bollocks off for the entire day so i think just for the sake of my cat you can listen my to cat's scar. well-being i think i'm just i only listen to scar now till the end of her days <laughs> it's going to be a scar household uh, <laughs> it is. to make sure Claudia scaffington can survive so we're going to be picking it up more than you can even imagine so much picking up but i do think on a you know just to leave it on a slightly more highfalutin level <laughs> that, well, then that scar's gonna save a cat's life it's pretty good i think it's what i do think that the world needs more of it and like i say this came from nana war of steel nana war of steel are a mock power metal band that sings songs about dandruff 
about how he went on a date with a gargoyle. <laughs> like it's, it, it, There's one about disco metal. And <laughs> um, they're not really that funny, really, but they are... They are Utterly ridiculous. They're like they're like, like a heavy metal version of the Naked Gun movies, and my first the best reaction, my first reaction to them was, oh god, mm-hmm. oh, this is really embarrassing. But the more that I watched it, the more I sort of thought, you know what, I don't have enough joy in my life. I'm into this. Everything, everything that I do just seems to have some negativity mixed up with it. Mm-hmm. And whereas Nana War of Steel, and equally, you know, a lot of these ska bands. There is no negativity. Mm. And it's fine to sort of say, like, for example, you could critique, easily critique Scarpunk. It's all white, middle class, oh douchebags. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, there's so many, there's so many reasons to critique. Yeah. And but, there's people in the punk scene that are probably like, we're singing about real things, how dare you get yeah, off just singing about nothing. Nothing. But in a lot of ways, I feel a bit like, A... Most of the people singing about, as you're, in your words, real things yeah, are just repeating the mm-hmm. words that have already been said a million times and aren't doing any good to anybody. Mm-hmm. Apart from just spreading negativity, yeah. there is no real point. There's no real point in standing up in front of a bunch of punks and saying, fuck the Tories. It, it doesn't mean anything yeah. anymore because you, you're not Because there were some faced, people in that room going, not, oh, yeah, what? Yeah, <laughs> oh, shit, you've blown my mind. <laughs> like, come on. And so in a lot of ways, what we're doing is we're all going through the motion singing these in in mm-hmm. you know and i include myself in this singing mm-hmm. these serious songs yeah and and i sort of think oh, maybe what we all need to do is just start singing about our favorite cereal exactly and oh dancing like idiots your your song would be like brown flakes which would be rubbish brown flakes and kiwi fruit yeah. and <laughs> you need to get a better favorite cereal before you start singing <laughs> that's about not favorite my cereal. favorite cereal is it not no why do you eat it every day? Because it's healthy. Fa- what is your favourite cereal? Because I'm 40, 42 years old. What's your old? Scar song going to be about? <laughs> it will be a mix. It will be about how the best cereal is a mix of different cereals. Oh, okay. And it would probably be a mixture of either Frosties mm-hmm. and Ricicles, not... That's so sugary. Snap, crackle and pop. But yeah, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a little baby now doing my little fucking oh, yeah, pick true. it up dance. You've put your checkered shoes I'm on. I'm going to throw my milk all over the place yeah. because I'm so busy She's having drinking. too much fun. Whoa, you can't Ooh. handle Dave having this much fun. <laughs> and then um, possibly, possibly with a shreddy. Hmm. But the shreddy feels not sugary enough. <laughs> you can get frosty shreddies. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> what a, what a scar song we all write. You may have noticed that we've not played any scar songs on this podcast. We we this is what we do now. Yeah. We don't really plan these things anymore. Nah. So we're just playing different music, which is fine. You need all of this music too. Some of this music, actually, most of this music is quite joyous. Um, this <laughs> next one is by Moron Butler. They are Woo! from Kent. Woo-hoo! We've played Moron Butler before. They're fantastic. I don't think that this song has been released yet. No. I think this might be an exclusive. And uh, but it's certainly a brand new song, and it's called Crow Mags, and here it is. Joy.
episode of Breakfast Punks. As always, please do go follow us on Instagram and messengers there if you have any feedback or if you've got a band that you'd like a song played or only ska though. We only accept ska music. We're now only a ska podcast. We're so fun. We're a fun podcast. We just need fun ska songs. <laughs> so if you could send us any of those Breakfast Punks podcast on Instagram would be great. Or you can email us at shamcityroasters at gmail.com. Any feedback is always appreciated. Um, and we love you all we have a Patreon as always please do follow us on there if you can support us if you can and thank you to all of our patrons that do support us already we released another episode just last week so go and listen to that if you are a Patreon and if 15, you're not yet there's 15 hours yeah. worth of entertainment for you not, for you just three sign pounds up. <laughs> sign up you've got 15 extra hours of babble if you want it speaking of wanting more babble just a reminder we will be at Manchester Punk Festival again this year um, we will be on the Friday in the afternoon so please if you are going to Manchester Punk Festival and you feel like starting your weekend with something not quite as in your face as a guitar well, it will as in your face certainly be David a, Cullen's opinion on Scar well it'll be a discussion on Scar now I mean this is a Scar podcast so <laughs> in a month's time it'll just be <laughs> David is into too much Scar and he's going to berate it some more we might do a performance <laughs> piece whereby we just sit in silence and listen to Scar music for an hour <laughs> and meditation. smile when we're happy and grimace when we're not <laughs> <laughs> some weird lead Scar meditation you could, we if, if we did that we could call ourselves a fucking DJ <laughs> breakfast punks a fucking dj the scar meditation hour yeah let's not do that but we'll do something else so please come and see us at manchester punk festival if you are there yes it would be fabulous to see you there and we will try not to talk too much about death now uh, that we have become a fun podcast from now should we try and be fun let's just try and be fun uh, we've already this is a scar fun podcast scar fun podcast we're just talking about serial computer games cartoons in fairness actually on the last episode we did just talk about cartoons <laughs> so if you're an adult baby that's just been enjoying us for the first time because you like scar punk you might enjoy us talking about little children's cartoons <laughs> on the last episode so go back and listen to that but i wouldn't go any further no it gets here uh, and there's some point where we talk about some weird stuff that you just don't want to know so, we'll end with a song of joy. This is a band called Armoured Flu Unit, and the song is called Liberation Not Consumerism. It's from the album The Mighty Raw, which is out now on good old Grown Your Own Records, which we do we, enjoy very much. It's been a much. real lovely coming around, isn't it? We've had Vampire Slumber Party earlier on. I know. We've now and got a Grow Your Own Records. How many Grow Your Own Records songs have we played i don't know we should have played an armor flu unit song much longer ago because gary gave me this quite a long time ago and i just forgot about it so it's a bit late sorry gary it was discovered in its beautiful beautiful package as always Mm -hmm. and so thank you gary we're going to play it now so this is armored flu unit with liberation not consumerism and we will see you in two weeks time pick it up 